when I approach investing and spending money and, and saving money, I, I, I don't not approach it with the mindset of like, oh, I just I just want to outpace inflation, right? I, I want to be as strategic as possible at all times, um, and real estate being the vehicle to really allow us to do that um, and exponentially outpace inflation. Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Hey, Rent to Retires, it's Adam Schrader here with another episode. I know I was off on the last one. Corey and Zach took the lead. But I'm back. I'm back, people. I'm back. So, Zach, uh, let's do it. Just the two of us. Man, can can we actually replace you with Corey? She has so much more energy, Adam. I mean, she, she's yeah. just go, 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 man. No, Woo! I'm just, I know. There you go. Get your spear <laughs> fingers going. So, we wanted to touch today on the lovely world of inflation we're in, lovely world of savings that we're in, and just kind of talking about saving during an inflationary period. And I know a lot of people have probably considered it. They probably think, oh, it's not the best idea. But there's a lot of people who are still on the fence about investing in general. And so they're scared to do something, whether it's, you know, real estate, stock market, this, that, or the other, whatever it is that they're scared of, they're not making moves. And so we wanted to talk about kind of what it means to not invest during an inflationary time period. And I will say it has been nice. The last six months, we've seen inflation slow down. You know, overall in the year 2022, year to, year beginning to year end, we looked at about, I think it was about 8% for the entire year. I'm um, in December, it plummeted all the way down to six and a half percent. And I think it's possibly going to stay there, might drop a little bit more, but Zach, how many bank accounts do you know of that are getting 6% return on investment? You know of any? I've even seen the CDs actually start to uh, start to creep up there. But yeah, no, <laughs> no one's no one's even half that. So. Yeah. I mean, if you're at a, a Wells Fargo or Bank of America or even a local credit union, you know, you're probably making a quarter to half a percent um, return on your money and assuming that it's all sitting in your regular savings account, not your checking account where it's getting zero. Um, online banks are better. I know some of them are even up to 4%. Aaron and I have a Barclays account that's at a whopping 3.4%. So you can put your money in the bank and you're only losing 25 to 3% of your money a year. Um, so congratulations, you're falling behind. Um, and, and I will say, it is nice during the inflationary time period in that most people stick their money in a bank account. So really to get ahead, all you have to do is keep pace. Um, so if you actually can make more than inflation, you're getting farther and farther ahead. But you really just have to keep pace with inflation in today's environment to become you know farther ahead in your journey than other people. Because I know when it comes down to it, you're looking at what you want to do with your life. But you know, keeping up with the Joneses, you're passing the Joneses if you can just get that six, six and a half percent return. So any thoughts on that, Zach? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't look at it even as uh, I, I never when I approach investing and spending money and, and saving money, I, I, I don't not approach it 
with the mindset of like, oh, I just I just want to outpace inflation, right? I, I want to be as strategic as possible at all times. Um, and real estate being the vehicle to really allow us to do that um, and exponentially outpace inflation and, and also in, invest and own certain assets that inflation will be a tool as, as well, right? I mean, inflation causes an increased cost of living. It causes appreciation, actually, even though, you know, we may feel like there's a short-term um, stabilization of the market with with interest rates. But I think, you know, in, in some, when you and I are just kind of going through these little fireside chats with just our thoughts, <laughs> I think we can speak openly just about kind of our opinion, and albeit it is our opinion, so uh, keep that in mind. But in, in general, I mean, when we are, you know, in the news and the media and just, just in life in general, one thing I've really realized is I throughout my investing journey, I, I often think completely differently than, than most people, right? Mainstream. And I think we all go through this where just thinking about money differently. I mean, maybe it started starting with reading Robert Kiyosaki and just how to really, you know, when, when masses are fearful and everyone else is telling you to do this, I mean, the common practice we hear is, oh, in times like this, like save ca cash is king and save capital, right? <laughs> and it's also like, well, what? Okay, but like, how much, right? And and why are you saving that? Just because the sky could fall, and then you you want to have cash? Really, cash, in my opinion, should be yes. You always need a reserve, regardless of economic con situations and conditions. But like, you're saving cash to be able to act <laughs> in times like this, yep. right? You don't save cash all the way through until the market is super hot again, and then you invest. Like you you need to save capital to be able to access opportunities right now and and really the big picture is the people that are successful always are i mean long term we're talking about people that have built multi-million dollar portfolios they are always buying real estate right i mean there's no one that's like oh i just timed the market or i saved cash during this <laughs> recession and i you know stuffed it under my pillow and it's just they they are constantly investing and that's the way that we've approached our i mean there's not been a single year since I bought my first duplex that we haven't invested in real estate. And we've since bought more and more, right? Now we've lost money on some of those. That's just part of the game. Um, <laughs> yep, but that's, that's what I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you just gotta you just gotta keep investing and you know, not not follow the masses and think differently. In being an entrepreneur and in the real estate investor, which all of us are entrepreneurs as real estate investors, we gotta swim upstream. And sometimes that's hard to do it when friends and family and everyone else is um, you know, just talking about how concerning the economy is. I mean, there's there's always something, right? But I digress. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to look at opportunity costs in this too, because you know, if you have your reserves sitting there ready to deploy, and you're not deploying it because you're concerned that you know prices could drop five percent, ten percent, fifteen percent. I mean, we're not seeing that in the markets that we're in. But even if you're terrified, you know, they're going to drop five, ten percent. Well, you're losing almost a guaranteed 6% right now on your money. So if you were to invest in real estate with it and the market does drop 10%, you really only lost 4% and that's year one. You've got time to get it back. But right now, if you have your money in the bank, and this is where I'm going to pushing people, is if you've got your money in the bank right now, you have no control over what your interest rate is. Because I mean, they do, you know, these banks can can raise it up they can drop it down they can do whatever they want and you have no control over what they're doing you put it into an asset you can control 
and suddenly you're like we just <laughs> like the word implies you're in control you can raise your rents you can drop your rents if you need to we're obviously not having to do that but you can raise your rent and increase it you can hold it steady you can sell if you want you can continue to hold the property and wait for it to appreciate even if it does drop it gives you so many more options than just saying hey i've got my money in the bank it's safe because when are you going to buy you know are you going to buy whenever this whenever it turns around and it starts going back up because you know at that point in time maybe interest rates are lower but then prices are going to be higher so are you going to feel confident in investing then and more I've competition. Been telling, yeah, more competition. I've been telling people right now, when you said, when do you buy? You buy whenever the numbers make sense because the day you buy is the worst deal you're going to have. You know, At that point in time, you control it. You're only going to change the investment whenever it benefits you. You know, Whether that's because your interest rate could drop so much lower that it's going to make you cash flow and it's going to make up for the price of refinancing or you're going to do it whenever you can pull cash out or you're going to sell it whenever you're ready for it. Really, day one is the worst day of your investment. So if it makes sense on the worst day, it's going to make sense on better days. So, I yeah, I agree 100. That's a that's a unique perspective. Is just to look at it. Often when we look at pro formas, and uh, and I think newer investors tend to focus on this more. Is when you're looking at an evaluation, that is a projected evaluation for a year for the first year, right? That this isn't showing five, 10 years down the road where you have rental increases, um, you know, and, and you have appreciation over time. That's, this is a projected year one. So I don't have a problem and I'm not saying people should buy negatively cash flowing properties or break even. Obviously, I mean, we, we all like to have cash flowing properties, but me personally, I do not have a problem buying a property that is slightly negative cash flow or that is even break even. If I know that it's in a market that's has strong appreciation, both for both for rents and for um, you know market value, because we know that while it may not be appreciating or may not be positive cash flow now, the rents will be appreciating, and it certainly will be in the next couple of years be uh, dramatically higher cash flow. But I think another another thing to look at in high inflationary environments, um, which again, I to me, I don't I don't watch the stats you know directly <laughs> in terms of I, I'm doing the same thing I was doing before. Maybe I've critiqued my strategy a little bit. We're just we just have our criteria. We just keep buying real estate, right? And that's our goal. But um, and we adapt. We adapt to whatever lending options we have available at that point in time. It's just part of the game. But having having debt though in an inflationary environment is a dramatic way to really be strategic to grow your net worth. You're paying because that money that you're borrowing at today's value is being devalued quicker when high inflationary environments. In, in the future. And so that's, that's a huge concept. If you, and if let's hard for a lot of people to conceptualize, maybe we can put in the link where Aaron Chapman breaks down kind of the calculations on, on how that works. And it's, it's astonishing, right? I mean, if you actually held a loan for <laughs> even 10 to 30 years, I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's uh, during the high inflationary timeframe, I mean, what you do is crucial. I mean, you get in there and you start making your returns. You start getting more and more assets to help you in the long run. And I know what you're saying about break even or maybe even negative cash flow because you're in the position. But even if you're you know, in an area that might get slower rent growth and appreciation over time, you know, if you look at people talk about 
and we've discussed inflation arbitrage before, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more in the future. But right now, people are saying interest rates are high. Really, they're with 25% down, you're looking at six to six and a half for an investment property. I was reading an article the other day. If you average it out from like 1980s or 1990s to today, the average owner-occupied rate has been somewhere in the sevens. And yet right now, owner-occupieds are down, you know, five and a half percent or something like that. I mean, when you look at it that way, yeah, you can't compare anything to COVID. Like you, you just can't. Just pretend that those two years of mortgage rates never happened. You know, it's hard to do that because it really did happen. But just pretend that it didn't happen because the likelihood of us ever seeing investment properties getting 3% interest rates, just get that out of your head. You know, just <laughs> just move on with life and accept the reality that we're in. Rents are going to be what rents are going to be. You know, appreciation is going to be what it's going to be. Rates are going to be what they're going to be. So what are you going to do? You know, you... The, we, it, it's interesting how we talk about COVID now, right, as a such a positive thing in the investment market. When I remember March 2020, when um, also people you know thought that the sky was falling and the real estate market would crash and all sorts of there'd be issues and we were concerned. And OK, I get it, you know, as far as rent abatement and things like this. And that, that was a legitimate thing in certain areas of the country. But but now it's just thinking back as like, man, the COVID time was a booming time for real estate and the economy. Um, granted, a lot of it was now we're paying for it, right, with the money that was injected during that time. But I, I think this just constantly kind of big picture reminds me of th there's always something, right? There's always some sort of concern if you're looking at the news. If you, I mean, they're they're like war, recession, you know, politics to some degree with uh, elections, COVID. I tax mean, cuts, tax increases. Yeah, there's there's always something, and there's always a reason for people to be concerned. But the people that I surround myself with that are the successful investors that I want to emulate are they, you never hear them complaining, right? They're not out there saying, ah, these damn interest rates that I'm complaining and, you know, about that where the they're they're talking about what they're actively doing. Uh, and I think that's that's a huge difference between someone that's kind of like a wannabe investor or someone that's a successful investor is someone that's like talking about all the ways to be successful and the things that they actually are doing versus the people that are like, oh, finding excuses not to do anything. And so my, my advice to anyone listening is to not, not be one of those people. Find ways to do it and just move, just move forward and then do that again, right? And learn along the way because we talked about opportunity cost. But the big thing here is just education. That's where you get, to your point, Adam, the, the ability to control your, your financial outcome, which is why most of us are investing in real estate anyways to begin with is we, we want to take control is the fact that you got to learn and you got to have that firsthand experience. And so opportunity cost, just outside of the, the, the monetary aspect of investing earlier, just the education is, is huge. Yeah. I mean, when, like you said, there's always a reason not to invest, regardless of whether you're talking about real estate, stock market, anything. There's always a reason to not do it. But if you actually break it down, there's also always a reason to do it because, you know, you're never... You're never going to get where you want to be if you stay where you are today. Um, and if you don't do anything today, you're actively deciding to not progress, to not move forward, and to not 
achieve what you meant to achieve. I mean, there was a YouTube video that I put out just recently that said, you know, you set your goals at the beginning of the year. We're a month in, you know, maybe a little over. And if you talk about, you know, the time it takes to close, you're looking at, you know, 30 to 45 days to close. So really we're two months into the year. You know, have you actually started, you know, your situation probably hasn't changed much. So have you actually started? Because if you haven't, then you're already letting yourself down in a lot of ways. You're actively choosing to not progress with the goals that you set for yourself. And I don't know what the reasoning might be for you. I mean, but you're actively deciding not to. So you need to surround yourself, like you were saying, with people who are going to say, why aren't you doing this right now? You know, you said you wanted to do it. Why aren't you? And if your answer is just, I'm scared, well, then let's work through that. Because, you know, being afraid sometimes makes sense, but most of the time makes absolutely no sense at all. And it's just going to, you know, leave you standing where you are. And then five years from now, you look back and go, well, damn, why didn't I buy then? <laughs> yeah. Why didn't I do that then? It's, it's funny because what actually scares me is, is, not, is not taking action, right? What really, and I think a lot of people just maybe ignore this and put their head in the sand with just continuing to do the nine to five forever and relying on a 401k um, because that's easy and they can just ignore it. Right. But uh, to me, the, the real fear comes from inaction of, I don't want to be, I mean, each of us have our own personal stories, right? Like my dad, both my, both my parents are electricians. They worked their entire life. Um, and my dad got really sick before he could really enjoy his, his retirement. And from that point, I was always like, that's not going to be me. I'm going to work, yep. uh, you know, and, t- and enjoy life and be able to get ahead um, and take control. So and there's so many people that are in that same situation. They come, I, I have yet to talk to someone who's like super happy and comfortable just with a 401k or even a partial pension. You know what I mean? And no one is like... I was able to create what I potentially could in a military pension or retirement picture within two years of serious dedication towards, and I was able to get that immediately and then compound it through just directed attention and investing uh, strategically. So, I mean, we can go on and on and and people are probably saying, well, we get it. Uh, You guys are telling us to invest and you're also trying to sell us properties. Well, I mean, we're, Guys, we're investing right alongside of you and doing this right alongside with you. I, it doesn't matter if you're investing with us through Turnkey, um, but having an accountability partner to walk through your concerns and kind of understand and educate you, that is huge, right? And so we're happy to play that role for you, whether you invest with us or not. Most of our investors are buying other properties and investing in other asset classes and things on their own. And they see the, the benefit of Turnkey. The benefit of Turnkey is it's, this is easy. It's, it's an easier path path and you you can learn and avoid some of those common pitfalls and obstacles to expedite your success so let us help you in whatever you're doing but i do want to talk a little bit adam about okay what what do we think are positive investments right now and what are things that we we think uh you know people should be investing in so i've I've got my opinion on, on the type of asset classes that i think are going to really excel right now and over the next decade, but I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are too. Well, right now, a lot of, especially newer investors that I talk with right now, I think, you know, since we don't know what's going on with everything, I like people to get in and just start buying properties that are going to give them a baseline cash flow. Um, and usually those are turnkey rehabs and not 
the new construction because new construction, like we talked about, that's that tends to be more. You're going to get a little bit of cash flow, but you're really investing in the neighborhood. You're investing in the market. But if you can go in right now into established neighborhoods and get you know solid three to four hundred dollars a month, and you get a couple of those, suddenly you've got a baseline of cushion so that you can go in and buy the properties that are going to be a lower cash flow, maybe even like you were saying, maybe even a little bit negative being, and have them be your appreciation plays, whether that's with us or not with us, that part, you know, love for it to be with us. But if it's not, you at least give yourself the opportunity to say, all right, now I'm going to go try this and see if it works. But I know I have something to fall back on. That's not going to suddenly make my W2 hurt if I do that. So I think, kind of starting off with that is a really good way to go for your first year or two of investing to, to get you to the point where you have other options. And we did just come out with our, I mean, not officially, but we did just come out with our 2023 market outlook report on the top 20 markets for investing that uh, based on kind of historical and future data. So I, I think that'd be really interesting to look at in terms of what markets might be beneficial to start with or expand to. Um, feel free to reach out and we can send that to you. We will be distributing it at a later date as, as well. But if you want early access to it, just email Adam and uh, <laughs> he'll be happy to send it to you. But yeah, then it's a podcast at renttoretirement.com. There you go. You had to give it. Yeah. One, we had to get one plug in there. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but I, I think, you know, I agree with what you're saying, but I also think that what, what would be beneficial for people is to kind of, kind of own both. Um, a, a little bit of diversification where you have some Midwest solid B class and, and then maybe, you know, 30% or whatever. If someone were to come to me and say, Hey, I'm a new investor. I'm buying four houses this year. I have this amount of capital. What would you recommend? I would probably either tell them to go 50, 50 buy two houses in new construction Southwest or somewhere in Florida um, that is already constructed, not pre-construction because we know construction is just taking forever right now. It's just a chaotic environment. Um, if you're doing new construction, you feel that, I mean, we are all going through that Adam and myself personally. I mean, we get that too, but I would say maybe a mix of Midwest and, and areas that are in the path of progress because the benefit to the Midwest, especially in times like this, economically speaking, is they're just your bread and butter cash flowing rentals. They're not going to be dramatically affected by the market in terms of pricing. Rents will stay consistent, if not increase more so in, in this type of environment. Um, so either a 70-30 split of 70 Midwest, 30% new construction, or, you know, just a 50-50 mix. I like the, I mean, ultimately the goal is to own both, um, you know, and, and if you can find some small, I don't know, I think single family, especially though right now too, we've seen multifamily because it's more investor influenced. We've seen those fluctuate more so in, in price points, whereas single family, if you're in a decent area. Those are just solid returns that really have not been directly influenced so much. Yeah, and especially right now, I mean, we've talked about in the past the inventory shortage, and I know that there are more homes hitting the market right now in some ways, but if you look at new home starts and new homes on the market right now, new home starts are down significantly. They're down to like under a million on an annualized basis, and that's that's going to be felt for years from now, you know, it, it's not going to hit necessarily as hard right now, but in one, two, three, four years from now, when those homes aren't built and they're needed, man, it's going to be, 
a time whenever the assets you have are going to see some significant increase in um, you know value because there just aren't going to be other homes like that around. So you know you've got the inventory going on. And right now, you're seeing properties sit longer on the market, but fewer of them are actually coming on the market. And so really, the home availability hasn't changed much. I mean, it's kind of still the same same amount of inventory as there was during COVID, which leads to the fact that the markets we're seeing and the markets we're investing in that are in the path of progress or, you know, are in a nice stable area, they don't have much movement going on in them right now. So we're really in a situation where the signs are good for now and the signs for the future are really solid. I mean, this is this is a huge point because a lot of people are also like, well, what about the correction? What about the housing crash that's coming up? What about, you know, prices dropping? That's just that's just not happening. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just not. And I saw this meme the other day of um, is like market in 2020 and it was a like an eight hundred thousand dollar house um, with a three percent interest. And then and then today it's a uh, seven hundred and ninety nine thousand dollar house for. Um, market in 2022 is this is so 800,000 2020 and like 799 in 2022 with uh, you know a 6% interest rate. It's just funny because that's that's the reality is the market is um, I mean it's it's supply and demand. And you know, if you're if you're anticipating a, a market correction, a large one, I think we would have already seen that. Uh, it's just it's just not happening, you know. And people have been talking about a correction for like over 10 years. It's just funny to me <laughs> to look back at some of the like foreign right posts. The corners, right? Well, oh my gosh, people love to say that, right? Like when you have this huge ride, it's like, oh, well, it's there's this crash coming because of this or this. or Again, like I said, COVID, man, there's so many people. Uh, if you look back at some of the articles like on Bigger Pockets or something and, and you look at some of the commentary about the market, because people are always asking about the market, right? And there's always something that is going to, some, someone's going to use that to um, talk about how the market's going to crash and all come burning down, but it's just, it's not happening. So what this has taught us though is that a lot of, um, I mean, it's just really dependent on supply and demand. And there's markets that are still appreciating like a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. And those are the markets I want to be in, right? Because those are areas where you have population shift and you have an undersupply of housing um, and construction is slow right now. So that's just important to think about. I don't think prices are changing dramatically. I mean, people are still very active. There are some active. markets that are, but we don't invest in those. <laughs> yeah, if you, I mean, if look, if you're in these like way expensive markets, coastal areas, like where the population is shrinking, I mean, sure. I mean, there's this mass exodus out of, outside, out of California, right? I'm not saying that's a terrible market. I don't personally invest there, but we see a lot of people shifting in, in terms of where they're living and we want to be in path of progress. The Midwest is growing people, believe it or not. Um, there's, and you look at cities, specific cities, not popular, like Ohio could be losing population as a whole. However, like Cleveland could be growing dramatically right within, within the state. So it's important to look at the metrics too. Yeah. Texas was, uh, Texas gained some people and became the first state outside of California to hit, I don't remember, I think maybe 30 million people during the, during the time. So. Yeehaw. We're still growing. We're just uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, so are the, so are the property lot. taxes, right, Adam? So yeah. oh. that's the one challenge we have in Texas. And we yeah. invest in Texas. We love Texas. Yeah, I love Texas, but man, Texas loves to Texas loves to hit you back. So, <laughs> all right, is that anything else you want to touch on today before we wrap it up? 
No, I mean, if people have questions, if they have topics that they want us to cover, I mean, obviously email, email the podcast uh, email. And, um, you know, we, we'd love to talk about these topics. These are all things that are relevant. We are going to be moving a direction over this next year of having more success stories uh, as well of investors. And I, I think that's really important. It's interesting for us to, I mean, I end up learning a ton, even from newer investors, whether they're part of our network or not. So if you um, want to be a guest on the show and talk about the success. And this could even be your first house, right? We're not looking for super experienced people. Um, we want to break it down from ground level because the majority of our listeners are trying to, you know, get started or build a large portfolio. So, and I, I think it's really important to hear from other people that are in that same journey and how they're successful. So we want to have you on the show and we want to talk about it. We want to highlight some of your successes. Yep. So check us out, rentretirement.com. That's where you can find, you know, a time to talk with myself or one of the other investment strategists about your journey. That's at rentretirement.com where you can also see our inventory available if you want to start moving forward on something. And if you want to see more educational content, my beautiful face on uh, even more than that, you can head on over to youtube.com slash rentretirement. That's youtube.com slash rentretirement and see all the other content we're putting out there. Leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're utilizing. Leave the review, take a screenshot of it, send it to the podcast at Rent to Retirement email address, and we'll send you a $10 gift card and enter you into a drawing that we're going to be doing at the end of June 2023 that will uh, get you a $500 closing cost credit if you buy before the end of the year. That's podcast at renttoretirement.com. Really appreciate the time you spent educating yourself here today, and we'll talk to you on the next episode.